0: Wow, we made it. It's like July 10th. I know this all sounds funny, but I've been talking about this since the pandemic. Time is mattering less and less and less, and the seasons are mattering more. The weather and what normally happens weather-wise, because it's the only thing we've got left that actually hasn't changed. Everything else is on the change wagon, and we're just figuring it out as we go along. But today is Questions Friday, and I have a bunch of questions. I had a question the other day. I put up a post that said, most arguments are with ourselves. And when I did that, I just, you know, because in my little head, I thought, everybody gets that. But then I had some comments like, not necessarily. I said, why? He said, well, you could only argue or debate when you know you're right and the other person is wrong. And then Paul Clark said, oh, can I get more on that? I thought it deserves a question and it gets an answer, right? Because sometimes questions are just more like something coach, like, all right, okay. And, and I'm like, what do you mean I need to know more? So most arguments are with ourselves, and this is how it appears. When you know deep inside yourself something's already bothering you, the other person can't even see it coming, but it's bothering you, and you want to fix it. You know that you didn't really take care of what you did so well. You didn't study for the test enough give yourself enough time to do what you needed to do. You didn't clean what you were supposed to clean. Or you feel like you're not as good as other people. Or you feel like everybody always picks on you. Or you feel like everybody lies about you. Or you feel like everybody praises you, but you don't deserve it. So when you feel those things and somebody says something to you like hey that's a great job and you already walk into the equation not feeling like you deserve it you don't deserve praise you cheated or you did something to get there or you've just been so beat up by parents at home mentally or whatever it is so you take it away No matter what you did, no matter how well you did it. Because the argument is not solved within you about whether or not you even deserve praise. Another one might be you think the whole world picks on you. For whatever reason, they may or they may not. But because you believe that, every time someone talks to you and you return in the conversation, Or even in an argument, it's going to be about how everyone picks on you, not about the problem or the issue or what the person brought up. So sometimes another person walks into this sphere of energy that you're carrying, and they just say something. Before they know it, they get a whole mouthful. They get your whole life story. They get how everybody's wronged you. And the person's like, hey, what just happened? What just happened? I'm only talking about this. And the other person whose argument is with themselves is talking about the argument. Whatever it is we are believing in our world is what we're going to lead with in conversation is the lens we're going to see every time someone talks to us. That's the lens we're going to see through. So we're going to keep bringing it back to our injury over and over and over again. There's people who, when they're in a conversation, they steer the conversation to their issues, no matter who they're talking to, no matter why they're talking to them, no matter where they're talking. It will always steer to that injury because the argument is not with others. The others are just participants in your argument, if they will participate. That's why I always say, wherever we are, participate. Things don't just show up. We either participate with that issue or we don't. We have a choice. As I've gotten over the years more accustomed to hearing that, Instead of participating in the argument, if I know the person well enough, I may say to them, hey, you know what, do you realize that that's something that you bring with you everywhere you go? You might want to take a peek, take a little peek, and, and you might want to resolve that because then the lens that you see the world with might be more objective and not so myopic because it's really stressful to see the world through your own arguments. And the only reason why their arguments is that they stay unresolved. So as long as it's unresolved, no matter what anybody says to you, it's all about you and how everybody's hurting you, everybody's lying. Who cares? You could get up and move to Australia and nobody knows you. And instead of you saying, oh, I have a fresh start, you'll be saying things like, everybody, blah, 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 to whoever you're talking to in Australia. The same environment, no matter where you go, because we are who we are everywhere we go. If Christ taught me anything, if Christ taught me anything, he taught me, that it all goes back to me. I need to be accountable for what I bring to any situation I am in. I can't blame, well, I do this because of so-and-so, and I have a right because I was hurt. It was a good one for a long time. But it's not a true one. It's an unresolved one. So when I say most arguments are with ourselves, it's the lens in which we look at the world with. Because we ourselves are unresolved with a certain issue. We haven't faced it. And I know they're hard to face. It took Christ a long time to get me out of a lot of the things I thought. Not just one or two, but a lot of them. Because when you uncover one, it opens up the door to another and to another and to another. So that's where compassion kicks in, where you say, hey, you know what? I'm not perfect. And where Christ even said about himself, I am not perfect, but I am pure. My feelings of pain are pure. I don't know how to address them yet. But my intention is to address them. Because if you do that, you've given your mind permission to not leave it as a foundation and to put it as a lesson instead of a destination. It will say, oh, this soul doesn't really want this here, but it's here. So how do we get out of this? And then you start running into people out of nowhere, that you meet because, right, once you're ready for the lesson, the teacher appears. And and they may not even address your issue, but they may tell you how they address theirs. And you start going, oh, wow, they were like that. They got out of it. Maybe I could too. That's why it's really important why I do this every day and why Christ did it every day. We live in a world of constant challenge. It's never going to not be challenging because we're here for those challenges. We chose to come here and check out this place that has a lot of problems. And the ones that can see those problems and the ones that can't, you can't tell who's who based on their argument because they're so involved. But at the end of the day, we find out how we look at life, how we feel about life, how we see life, to how we feel inside. Why are some people so like, hey, I'll get over that. And others are like, I'll never get over that. Now that that's happened, that changed everything. Did it? So those arguments that we have in our minds that nobody's involved with, that we can't blame anyone for, even though we may be creating the story for that to be true, starts with us. So that's what I meant about that. So I have another question. It's from Liam. I have a question. You often explain meeting Christ in 2002 is a big surprise to you. You often explain it like it was the beginning of your journey, but you were conversing with other angels before the faithful day of, on April 11, 2002. You were talking to Asma, Michael, Mabel, Joseph, Teddy, Joe, all of them, Erica, and Gabriel. Sometimes I forget about Erica. What was the first communication with these angels like and how far back did your communication go? Do you still hear from these angels, or is it all Christ now? I'd like to know more about these early exchanges and how these angels interact with you. Thanks. And then Susan wrote, I really like your question. And then Maureen wrote, and Bethlehem, sweet Bessie. And and then Liam wrote, I think Bessie came to Nadia's knowing after meeting Christ. And also, you guys forgot Raphael, because Raphael was actually the one that Worked with me in the writing when I would write. It's very interesting. They all had a job, right? Um, but these, there were a handful of them. The younger angels, the Teddy and Joe and Josie and Aaron and Abel. Those were prior. I would have forgotten because it all melts into. Each other, because once it started, it started full blown, and it started the Christmas of 2001. That day, that particular day, I remember it because of what happened. Someone followed me out of a party that I did not know to ask me to talk to him, and it wasn't like a hey, I love you thing. He was a kid who just got out of the army, but I didn't know that at the time. He served his time, and I did not know he was involved in an ambush, and I did not know that everybody in his group died except for him. And since that happened, he could not sleep at night. I want to say he was one of my first cases, but I thought about it. In 1997, I had another case where I've got I got written through to warn me about someone that was manipulating my life, and it was a therapist because that year I was getting divorced, and one of my friends says you need to see a therapist, and I I went to see him, and the first day I saw him, I go to the person who referred me. He's kind of a lightweight. You've been going to him for ten years. And he started using manipulative methods on me to attach me to him in a very weird way, almost like mind control. And I saw it because I was just leaving a situation from that. And here's this man, wivel into my world so that I keep going and keep paying. And I got written through about him, and I remember crying and reading it to. Lisa, my friend, who's blind. So she sees the world differently than you and I see it, even though she was not born blind. And what happened was, and that's why I tell every single one of you, we all have a group of angels around us. Everybody listening and not listening. Everyone who knows of me and doesn't know of me, and unless we give them permission to interact in our lives, they are obedient to our free will. But the way I remember the younger angels I call them, because they were the ones I knew before Christ, is in preparation of meeting christ, which i and and that's why I say it's such a surprise that I, it was Christ, like where would I think? Being a Muslim person, even though I wasn't like full-fledged practicing Muslim, I didn't pray five times a day, but I tried all of that. I wanted anything to bring me closer to God, but if something didn't bring me closer to God, it felt weird doing it because now I was doing it because I was scared God was going to be mad at me if I didn't do it. But before I did it, I actually felt closer to God, so I wanted to go back to feeling closer to God, and that was how I did it, was not doing some of those things. I know it sounds weird, right? So counterintuitive. Ever since that Christmas Day was where I knew, I was aware of it, because I also was feeling people being different around me, friends or people I met, even women, which totally surprised me. I remember saying to myself, oh, my God, that's how a guy treats me, you know, like where they wanted to possess me in a really weird way or own me or want to be there before everyone found out about me or whatever it was they were trying to do. I felt it, and I never used to feel those things, and I never understood why they were doing that because I had no idea what was coming. But clients would start asking me questions like, what is what is a person like you doing working in a job like this? It happened to me when I went back to Nordstrom. It happened to me when I was in corporate America. What are you doing here? I'm like, that's a weird question. I have bills to pay. I'm a single mom. I have to take care of my family. But deeper inside, I knew what they meant because I knew I had a bigger job to do. I just didn't know what it was. But from that December, I started not only knowing certain things, but in the middle of the night, because I was already starting to write because I needed an outlet for what was racing through my head, I would get woken up, Teddy and Joe. They were like the young little angels, and they would go through my legs, and that would wake me up. And I would wake up and start writing. I would feel a presence around me. I, I will never forget. I you know, was never really alone without my kids. And then when we got divorced, every other weekend I was alone and I hated it. I used to drop my kids off and sit in the car and cry that they would be without me. And I would be without them for two days. One time I was sitting there crying, and someone I knew walked by, and they're like, Why are you crying? And I told them, I just dropped my kids off. I'm not going to see them for a couple days. And I remember her. She was the person who used to be next to the person who, to Lisa, who used to cut my hair back in the day when she could see. And I thought, Wow, God. I didn't see divorce coming. I didn't see this coming. It is so painful. So that day I go home, and I'm walking down my hallway, and I swear to you, I felt like somebody was right there behind me. I wasn't scared, but I literally turned around to see who it was. And there was nobody there. I couldn't deny what I felt. It was so real, yet it was not there. And it started to make me feel weird, but I also felt unusually warm and protected, that this wasn't a scary feeling. It was an unusual feeling, but in a comforting way. But it sure as heck piqued my curiosity as to what else is going on in our world and why can't we see it? Because there was a a common thread in my brain when I was little that felt a connection to everyone I met, even the people I did not agree with. So the first communications actually started in 97 but I did not even remember how conscious I was of that by the way that man that I wrote about at that time when I called Lisa crying I wrote about that he had a black hole in him and that it was never going to go away in this lifetime I mean you want to talk about God warning me when that happened He called me one day because now he was curious why his magic didn't work on me and told me he wanted me to meet a girlfriend. I was curious because I wanted to tell her to get the heck away from him. So I met her and I told her. And she didn't talk to me for like seven months and then one day showed up behind my door and said, how did you know? I found out he was seeing five other women like me, and he got each one of them to buy him things and pay for things as well as continue to pay him for therapy. He now lost his license, and it was all a result of what I knew. He's no longer allowed to practice in any of the 50 states. And those women created a support group and healed each other. That was the first time. So it went back farther but it was much longer gaps because I had no way of knowing what was happening yet. So that's, that's an, a, a new answer to an old question because is here. I know it sounds funny because people say it and I don't know if people really believe how big it is that God can see us that God can hear us. On Monday, I'm going to do a show about prayer because I realized something about the way I pray in connection to the answers I was seeing. Some I realized, some it took me a while when I'd just be driving or by myself and I'd go, oh my gosh, that's how God answered that. And then you ask. Do you still hear from these angels or is it all Christ now? It's both. When I write, it still says the team. Christ says the team. He always says, glory be to God Almighty. Glory be to God Almighty. Glory be to God Almighty, Christ. And then I'll put, and the team. Sometimes I write them all out. But when I do, speaking of that, I only write out the angels that had the jobs to do after I saw Christ. The team involves everyone. So it's interesting, the lightheartedness and the ease and the love and the fearlessness of the world we all came from. And every single one of us chose to come to a world that has to fight for those things. And the people who are saying them kind of look like they're weird or soft. They're not looked at as strong, but who know are the ones who are the backbone. At this point in my life, as a result of these things, and I write almost every day till now, That doesn't go away. I don't share it all because I'm still in the place where I know I have to reach more people and I couldn't see it. And I just, in the past couple of months, I started to see how. Because until I get there, like Christ said, keep yourself busy until it's time. So I'm feeling that more every single day. It's never as I think it is because my brain can only see as much as I know. But that was true with everything since I've seen him and before. It feels like it's always a guessing game, you know, like, oh, is it going to be this? Oh, is it that? And then I have to experience this whole boatload of stuff and I'm like, oh, gotcha. <laughs> I got it. And in real life, the me that you don't know other than Christ is simple, just loves to clean, loves to cook, loves to be with her family, loves to walk and exercise and keep finding better ways to serve my family, my body, and my soul. I don't really, nothing else actually catches my eye. If you ask me what I want, I wanted a car big enough so that when I shopped at Costco, I could bring it all home. That's like my big shindig. You know, I mean, that's that's where I live. I love to see people. But since I saw Christ, I, I have to, in an interesting way, keep it about that. Because I found out the more people know about me, the weirder it gets because now they want to tell me why I'm the way I am or they want to analyze me or they want to give me feedback on who I am as though I don't know, as though I've never lived with myself. Oh, you just want to, or oh, you just, and I'm like, some of it may resonate and I take that and I use it and the stuff that doesn't, I just go out. That's the lens going back to the argument question, the lens they can see the world through. So Liam writes, I feel like the very early writings are almost the most beautiful. Your wonder and awe at that time is so pure and beautiful. It's always pure, and it always feels beautiful. But some of the things are very timely for people to understand in the moment. Because there's a lot of times where I've gone through something and go, oh, I need to know what this feels like. I need to know how people react when they get hurt so that I can write something like, hey, did you guys know that most arguments are with ourselves? Did you know that no matter what we do, it will always override what we say? Did you know something as simple as a lie is the beginning of unrest? Just saying these things took a lot for me to learn why I can say them. So I don't say anything that I don't know why I'm saying it. But it's what we need. Because if I just write about love over and over again, people feel like love is weak, ultimately. Some people avoid feeling love so that they don't feel, so that they don't carry what they perceive as weakness, because the argument is, I've never been loved. Nobody's ever loved me. So they don't want to talk about love. And I can talk about this forever, and I cannot believe I have like 30 seconds left for today. I thank you for your question, Liam. I love you guys. I will see you on Monday. I can't wait. Have a good and safe weekend. Bye-bye. You have been listening to today's Daily Dose of the I Dig Your Soul podcast. To learn more, visit www.nadiakhalil.com.